You're listening to Ask a Gold Miner, the show designed to help you and your organization get better at tactical sustainment, provide training tips, and engage in meaningful discussion to help train the force. On this episode, we're talking with Colonel Brian Olson, the commander of the 1st Infantry Division Sustainment Brigade, about his experience during NTC Rotation 2010, the NTC's first divisionally focused rotation. Included in the discussion is employing the Support Area Command Post, the Sustainment Brigade and G4 relationship in the division fight, executing your pace plan, lessons learned from ERSO&I, as well as changes for the Sustainment Brigade from COIN to large-scale combat operations. And with that, let's get after it on this episode of Ask a Gold Miner. But uh, if you wouldn't mind, sir, opening up with just kind of briefly describing your roles, um, responsibilities between the system brigade and the, the G4 and how you see that. Okay. So uh, the, the roles between the system brigade and the G4, while similar to a brigade combat team, um, because of the scope of the operations, they're, they're different. Um, we have a deputy commanding general for support that overwatches both the staff, the division staff roles of sustainment, as well as uh, my organization and how we're employed to provide sustainment support. So between the G4 and the sustainment brigade commander is not dissimilar from a brigade combat team where the G4 does planning and uh, assess the conditions for the sustainment operations, receives the, the reports and consolidates them and then coordinates with hire, in this case, the core headquarters. Uh, and the sustainment brigade has a SPO that is a, a lieutenant colonel that does similar things uh, to a brigade combat team. We're providing the planning and, and oper- execution of sustainment support throughout the division and division separates. Uh, the difference, of course, is where we do it. And instead of the brigade combat team having an ALOC where the G4 sits and uh, a BSB sitting in a BSA somewhere else, we're more co-located in the consolidation zone. and the way our division has chosen to employ the support area command post, the support the support operations officer and the G4 are together in the SAC-T. Slightly off, um, set off, we have an ALOC and we have a, a SPO operations center. Uh, and I, as the sustainment brigade commander, have a role in the SAC-T as well. So uh, we're a little bit more tightly knit in our plans and operations than a brigade combat team would be. and as based upon the complexity of division level operations and the deep fight. Uh, supporting the deep fight while also understanding and providing support to the consolidation zone. Yes, sir. So with that, um, how prescriptive, uh, in your opinion, or from what you observe, does division need to be uh, in terms of orders to the sustainment brigade? Uh, so. I- I don't think it has to be terribly prescriptive. I think as long as the brigade is nested in the G5 and G3's uh, future operations and planning, uh, then we can write our own script almost and then hand it off to through the G4 uh, to be published. Uh, and we've learned this through multiple warfighters where if you allow a staff agency that does not have significant background in sustainment uh, operations to dictate where the sustainment nodes are and lines of communication and methods, uh, then you won't be optimized to provide the sustainment. So 
especially when we have a more robust staff at the Sustained Brigade Combat Team, correction, the Sustained Brigade, um, with an MTO strength of 93 personnel in the SPO shop, plus an S3, we can do much of that planning and then hand it off to Division II uh, to prescribe, which really just flattens uh, the, the communications. And then we do rehearsals at division level and then knock, uh, knock out um, the, uh, the friction points. Yes, sir. So speaking of uh, the rehearsals, uh, I know our pace relied pretty much on upper uh, TI. So how did those contribute to the shared understanding, especially with the execution of, uh, in this case, 541st uh, CSSB uh, with the actual live portion of the exercise? Yeah, so the, the pace was naturally challenged uh, as it is in most rotations. Uh, because the 541st did have a CPN attached to it from an external unit, uh, for the most part, they were able to tie in. The challenge was at the division level, there was only one server section. And uh, they were not always having to or able to tie into that effectively, which caused us for a number of days to rely on the PACE plan and actually type out orders onto JCR, JBCP, and in uh, chat rooms and, um, and various, even FM, what we try to do. Uh, we learned that a little late. It took a couple days with the brigade, the battalion commanders telling us that they were not receiving the orders for us to try to jump on the pace plan and have multiple uh, communication uh, nodes that we could, or, or modes that we could leverage. And it took a few days after that till we right-sized it, till we optimized it. We're really giving them the CSSP, the information they actually need. And yes, what is challenging on a, not sustainment necessarily, on this, what we did in this rotation where the maneuver element was a, a squadron. Uh, and so they have different communication capabilities than a division does. So there's a lot of swivel chair, various echelons to get from upper TI, uh, to, to lower TI, to JCR, to uh, different methods to get um, at my level from the Sustainable Brigade SPO shop to an FSC. As we were speaking company at, from a brigade to a company, similarly a division was talking directly to a squadron or battalion. Yes, sir. So I, I know uh, you had your uh, warfighters and your, your train up, but Knowing what you know now, sir, what would you do differently to prepare for this if you could go back a, a couple couple weeks or a couple months uh, to prepare the staff and uh, subordinate um, organizations? Yeah, I think it goes back to rehearsals, like you said. Uh, at the division, we focused so much of our attention on the constructive and virtual environment and leveraging that capability to train us as a staff and as subordinate brigade staffs. Uh, given that we had live uh, capabilities, live systems and soldiers on the ground that were very separate, very different than the constructive environment, what we really ought to have done is get those same leaders, even if it's just the XOs and logistics leaders, in the same room initially, understood our pace plan, as mentioned, the log stat, log sync processes, and uh, work through them prior to. And I know this is an AR comment for many BCTs that go through, uh, but it was, I think, unique to us in that there was two 
separate fights going on, a live and a constructive fight that while nested in the plan and, and, under, and the operations, we're on different grid coordinates. So, and this, we did not uh, have an effective log stat at first. We had a division standard log stat that is where we receive certain, certain uh, reports from brigade level. But because we weren't always working with brigades, it did not translate to the live exercise or receiving them from battalions and companies. And so we had to right size it so that we could receive and communicate effectively with the company and battalion level instead of what the division had been optimized for is division to brigade. Yes, sir. And with that, were the log stats, what, what did you see from in terms of accuracy and what units were submitting to help drive um, the planning process? and? to uh, determine the requirements and validate the, the planning assumptions? Well, well, I think they got better over time, um, certainly. Again, a, a battalion XO or company XO uh, submitting the log stat, having not rehearsed that necessarily, uh, were challenged in getting it right. Uh, and, and so there was some teaching going on uh, as, as the execution of the operation progressed. And the CSSB was able to step back in the sustainment brigade, which is helpful, step back and see uh, to forecast on behalf of the subordinate units. Uh, I think as we taught them that and uh, had to zero in on, you, you know, you go over to points of friction. Uh, class five is always an issue with uh, Devardi units. And because the, and the field artillery battalions currently do not work organically for Devardi, yet their staff was required to forecast for those battalions, having had no experience doing so, that was challenging. Uh, another thing that challenged us was typically a CSSB is the third echelon of planning, where the FSC and the battalions will do some log stat reporting and they go to the BSB and the brigade for, and they will uh, hone those reports a little bit and do some forecasting on behalf of the units. Well, that link, that, that was missing because the CSSB was the only battalion level uh, organization, sustainment organization on the battlefield. And so typically the CSSB can step back another layer and look a little bit further out. They uh, got there, not initially had that capability to step back from the balcony. The sustainment brigade did, albeit from a thousand miles away at Fort Riley, we were able to look deeper and leverage uh, some very, so the experts in the ammunition in the petroleum, the warrant officers that brigade, that sustainment brigades have that BSBs or uh, brigade combat teams do not, uh, prove very effective in just establishing the uh, uh, controlled supply rate uh, and, and uh, automated almost some supply runs. Now, of course, they're planning both the live exercise and constructive exercise, uh, which was challenging, uh, but, yeah, yes, sir. And so speaking of, you know, the, the experts and uh, leveraging uh, the capabilities of the sustainment brigade, what have you seen, sir, in terms of the, the shift in mentality from the coin centric army now to large scale combat operations and, you know, kind of how we plan for that and execute that? And, and anything you've seen successful work or, you know, um, if you could just kind of speak of what you've seen, sir, in, in that sure. kind of shift in mentality. Yes. Here's between coin and uh, large-scale ground force. 
ground combat operations um, is, of course, off-tempo, supporting the maneuver fights um, as opposed to supporting uh, FOB support operations based at off-centric locations. The level of contract support that would be on a coin battlefield or has been traditionally on a coin battlefield uh, that does not exist in this uh, decisive action and under large-scale combat operations environment uh, is completely different. Uh, but what I think has changed the difference between VA and LISCO is the level of warfare. Uh, LISCO is envisioned to be uh, division, core, or theater army-led level of fighting. And, and so it's no longer a modular brigade combat team and below level fight. It is much more controlled, many controlled by uh, divisions and higher organizations, which have recently in the point up environment lacked the, the training and validation uh, capabilities, which is why we requested this type of uh, CTC rotation is to uh, test out the CTC's capability and our capability of commanding controlling, not just providing mission command over uh, operation, decisive acting operations in a large scale ground combat environment. And as we go towards MDO, I think that'll shift as well. But right now we have to wrap our heads around how we train that is not just in a constructive environment, um, uh, enabling division core uh, commanders and staffs uh, the ability to train. Um, as many of these staffs have not been a brigade combat team that's had the opportunity to go through a CPC rotation. Yes, sir. So with that, you know, transitioning from, uh, you know, we've trans transitioned from coins and the FOPs now to decisive action and, uh, as you said, MDO. Um, what kind of insights and lessons did we learn from the expeditionary RSO&I where we're going into an austere uh, theater and we don't really have the infrastructure that a lot of us have been accustomed to coming into to a uh, theater of operations? Sure. Well, a lot of lessons. Uh both on the the side of the organization going deploying into that area as in as well as the capability of the, uh, the force provider supporter uh, in the area one is that of course you pack last what you want out first and i think for the most part of the division did that where you know, the containers were packed such that the overhead uh, sunshades or tents were you know, communications equipment should have come out first um, as units echelon directly into tactical assembly areas. However, uh, the challenge with that was that we don't control the transportation network getting to the location. So similar to deploying to a European theater or a PACOM, US Indo-PACOM theater or something, um, Transcom will dictate exactly how things arrive. And unless you can do entirely by uh, deployment by uh, trucks, as opposed to rail or ship, um, then it'd be hard to control. So we had organizations that went an entire month, I would say, at least three weeks uh, from when they landed there, they got their tent from the rail to the intermodal to the crisp yard and then deployed uh, through an FSC or, or CSSB out to the location where they were establishing. Uh, and that that may be different in an employed environment, uh, but I doubt it. Um, but it is certainly that you want to pack and load on the rail and 
and line haul that which you need first, and certainly prioritize the line haul that which you need first, but also some capability forward to drive it off the line haul and then establish it in the tactical assembly. Uh, one of the challenges we found is that while units established in a TAA, they still always had to come back to the uh, the central location, which was Santa Fe, to get miles validation uh, to coordinate all their um, all their classes, supply and uh, establish contracts. Something different that 916th Support Brigade was able to do is provide a one-stop shop at Santa Fe. So that was very helpful that the units did not have to go on to LSA Warrior in order to um, establish those accounts. Um, but still, while we pushed units out to the A's, they were constantly coming back to the central location as if they were coming back to a port uh, or back to a uh, the consolidation zone, the core support area. Um, and so it was very challenging, but really the challenge was um, having the right equipment and people at the TAAs when they needed it. So the idea that 24 hours after you would land in the TAA and then you would start establishing the TAA with overhead shelter and, and life support capability, it's not really feasible because it takes just the period of time to get from the rail, even if you land after the rail gets there, the rail through Manix Trail to the stone ramps and the crisp yard to the TAAs is days if not weeks. Uh, similarly, what we learned that many units learned is how to operationalize the ERSO online. Um, the division, um, you know, sent on the initial party, the G6, uh, to establish operations. Uh, a week later, the the Advon came, correctly, uh, the torch came, and, and I led the torch. Same capabilities, brigade, battalion, XOs, and S4s on the ground, but it was very logistics heavy. So in the future, if we're going to a more challenged environment, uh, we would need more operational planning and, and mission command capability advice, just the logisticians uh, establishing the initial operations. But that's interesting, sir, because some of the feedback I've received is, you know, making sure we have the right people as well from the sustainment community in terms of the MHE, the uh, PLS, LHS capabilities to move equipment from uh, the uh, uh, intermodal and then uh, make sure, you know, like the field feeding, I know that was a point of friction where the headcount kept uh, increasing, but the size of the team was, or the element was relatively static until, you know, we right. kind of increased the requirements. And that was, of course, that was uh, because we could not push people to TAAs because they did not have tents yet. They did not have the water buffaloes, they did not have trucks to get to the TAAs because they were still in pre yard and they were still in the drawbridge and they're still at the railhead. And so we overflowed Santa Fe and, and while units were supposed to go on MMM meal cycle, uh, they had that capability available. So of course you're gonna stand in line and, and, and eat there. Uh, so it was, I don't think it was lack of planning, it was that not being able to realize that you will not get the field feeding capability that you're drawing from the prepo out at the same time as you're trying to establish the PAA. Uh, it's just not physically possible unless you have really early draw capability. Yes, sir. So you spoke of, you know, the uh, requirement for units to come back to Santa Fe for miles validation and a couple other tasks. Uh, when was the battle rhythm fully established to kind of help facilitate the management of uh, all these activities? 
during ERSONI. Right. So I, I think, again, it was iterative. Um, when I, as the Sand Brigade commander, got on ground, uh, we started establishing two twice a day uh, update briefings and really their coordination briefings. So, well, we established a coordination center. That's what we call it, the Divisions Sustainment Coordination Center, which is focused on ERS and one And so we kind of developed out of high, which may be another lesson learned about how we're going to operationalize it, how we're going to do all the coordination beforehand, uh, a battle rhythm and uh, reporting uh, you know, requirements and capabilities. The 916th team uh, helped us out, uh, initially giving us uh, a, a large spreadsheet about the timing of everything. And so that drove our meetings with battle rhythm. And then a week later, when the Deputy Commanding General for Support showed up, uh, and we turned it more into a briefing, which was helpful in some ways. Uh, but really, a couple of days later, when it moved to the uh, tactical operations center, uh, division main established. It was truly operationalized. Uh, so it began with the sustainer establishing a battle rhythm, but we'll go to the G3 shop and the G4 and the DCGS taking over. I think that was more of a, uh, a more operationalized, established uh, battle rhythm. So it did take, that's the key, is to have leadership on the ground, uh, command leadership on the ground, and with a battle rhythm in hand, it can flex off of and it grew into a divisional capability. Yes, sir. So, sir, what would be your biggest lesson learned or um, something that, that you took away to, to focus on if, if you had to share it with the community preparing, especially for a division level uh, exercise or deployment? Uh, so, force structure is important. A Annex A, I think, is the most important document, uh, more so than the concept of support because the annex drives the concept of support uh, for at the division level, sir, I believe, uh, lacking a brigade support battalion while supporting two brigades, an aviation brigade and a Devardi with both of them with two battalion task forces, and then a reinforced cavalry squadron with the ground force element, no BSD. So the only echelon of sustainment was the CSSB, an echelon above brigade organization that does not have direct support capabilities necessarily. And then the next level down was singular forward uh, support companies. So understanding that first, which I think we did, but then working through how we provide the direct support and operationalizing that through exercises, which we never had time for because we so focused on training our uh, brigade and division level staffs that we didn't have time to get the soldiers on the ground and actually executing live sustained uh, operations. So Annex A and, and how that translates, challenged under COVID environment. But I think it's interesting that because while we had two and a half companies in quarantine for 14 days and not able to be part of it, we as RSO1I, and they came out on the dates to a force on force, it would not be unlike real world deployments where someone is stuck at a border or stuck uh, in a transcom or the mobilization takes too long. Uh, so it's important to have the backup capability. So, uh, and I understand some rotations have found themselves less than 25% on the battlefield of the sustaining capability because, um, because of COVID. Now, similarly, in a real, let's go, of action operation in a war, 
we would face significant catastrophic casualties. And so having understand how you have backup support um, by different types of sustainment capability uh, would be helpful. Yes, sir. So, uh, sir, do you have anything else you would like to, to add or uh, share with us today um, based off your experience? Is uh, the exceptional support provided by the National Training Center. So the, from the OCs to the ops group uh, team, the sustainment, uh, the 916 support brigade and all the contractors really enabled the success and was flexible. Uh, a year ago when we started planning for this, there was a lot less flexibility in the ops group's planning and uh, thought process about how we're going to execute this. And it migrated over time, really helped us out to be able to run our own operations and get us the support we needed without, without over-supporting. Uh, made sure that we were stressed enough that it is maintained as a crucible event, uh, which it was for all the warfighters there, and um, enabled us to do distributed operations, having the SAC key at Fort Riley with the Sustainment Brigade uh, and the other uh, battalions and brigades forward in the live exercise. So the great support from the National Training Center and all the teams there, I think it's fair to say. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you for your time today, sir. I appreciate it. My pleasure. The views and opinions expressed during this interview do not necessarily reflect or conform to the latest in Army and logistics doctrine. Please consult the appropriate doctrine for yourself and train the force.